forgot about my biggest gripe. The reason why headless CMSs are so popular is because how are you going to serve a render React in PvP, PHP, PvP, in the Crucible? How are you going to get Shax to let you render <laughs> React? What machine were you using to do the coding work that you were doing this weekend? Your non-work coding work that you were doing. You were doing like a like a project that you were working on, right? Yeah, I was using my Linux computer. <laughs> oh, can you, can you say that again? <laughs> I was using my Linux box. I'm gonna I'm gonna add a sound effect that sounds like you're shouting it from the mountains. No. How did that go? Did you have to update anything? Did you have to? Okay, this was very weird because I turned on my budgie drive for the first time in six months and there was no updates. I don't know what that means. You're already on 1804, right? Yeah, but haven't they released patches for it? There should be. How are you doing your updates? The budgie updater? I don't know. Doesn't it just run app get in the background for you? I don't know if it runs through in the UI. I don't, I'm not that familiar with the budgie updater, but you could just run it command line if you wanted to. I like doing it command line just because I like, it's like a ritual for me. It's like a type it out, all that kind of when stuff. When I go to like work on my computer, I don't want to deal with like you know, what managing the line? infrastructure. No, no. <laughs> I don't want to deal with like, okay, I'm going to sit down to write some code on my Linux computer. I don't want to then have to like manage my personal infrastructure. So I don't like, I use the terminal, but I don't want to manage the machine that I'm on like I would manage like an AWS box. That's why I like Mac. All right. I just turn my Mac on. It's really not and that I start hard. Coding. It's really not that hard. No, I literally well, do it days, for a living. One of these <laughs> days, you're going to come back after having done some Python work, and you'll you'll learn to love the configuration stuff on Linux. But anyway, we digress. No, I've well, done Python on Mac, and the only thing that I really liked my Linux computer for was when I was messing with TensorFlow. Yeah, there's a TensorFlow JS now, so you probably no, but I was like that. using the actual, actual TensorFlow. TensorFlow. Yeah, the real thing, and it was extremely fast because of how fast my computer was. Yeah, that was worth it. But like regular programming of web stuff, I don't need it. But then again, I'm not going to work on like a side project on my work laptop. So because you hate your work laptop. Well, yeah, I hate it, and then also it's just it's not my computer. So I that's, don't know. That's probably true. That's I why that. I got the. That's why I got the extra hard drive to have Linux on my desktop. But then I don't like the key bindings of Linux. We've had this convo. I don't know. I don't know. All right. So Linux and all of its flaws is the platform that you're working on this weekend to build your project. Tell us about your project. I'm just building. I'm just messing with a little bit of a CMS data and trying to do like a little little project in probably Gatsby and a. Content management system of sorts. Oh yeah, yeah. A little CMS action on the back end. Yeah, I mean, I build build CMSs all the time for, not like from scratch, but I mean, like I use CMSs all the time at work, and I just had a particular idea that I wanted to build. Interesting. Yeah. Is is Gatsby our kind of like default at this point? I feel like every time we bring up new projects, Gatsby is always in the conversation. Um, not always. I mean, I'm. Possibly going to do another project at work that probably won't have Gatsby. OMG, what possible use case it's could this just, be? It's uh, just, you know, uh, a project that 
has a lot of remote data and there's not really much of a need to server-side render anything because most of the data is remote. Is it GraphQLable data or no? Uh, potentially. Oh, so you're saying that part of it too? Well, that Well, you just set up, it's not that hard to just set up GraphQL and use Redux. And then hopefully maybe don't use Apollo. I don't know. You don't, don't use Apollo. Um, I am not going to say that I don't like Apollo because I haven't used it enough. But back in the day, Apollo used to run on Redux. And it was very weird because they didn't, they, they gave you access to the actions of Apollo client. In Redux. In Redux. You would bind like the, the, the middleware and you would bind the, I haven't used Redux in a while, but you would bind the middleware and you would bind the actions and the reducers for it. But you wouldn't be able to like control or see the actual actions that it uses to get data. It's kind of, so it's a little ambiguous, but like when I normally build Redux apps, I separate the way that I get data from the actions. So like I'll build a whole API layer. Yeah, that's what you're supposed to do, I think. Yeah, you know, some people just, you know, get data in their componented mount. <laughs> I never do that. I mean, I will, but I'll do it through the act of a proxy. So like... Yeah, you're building an action specifically for that and you just call it wherever you need it. Yeah, but some people then would just put their API request directly in the action. I don't even do that. I go one step further. So then I'll say like, okay, there's like an API over here that I then import a specific API request and then I'll put that in the action. Yeah, makes sense. So that way you have like this nice little API that you can control, configure, really customize Axios and do all kinds of stuff you need to do for like, I don't know, auth, reauthing, reauthorizing, re-upping your tokens, etc. Using a bunch of like middleware actions inside of Axios, you can hide all that from your actions and then your actions are always using like a common API. Und and then under that is like a standardized instance of Axios with all its config. So I do that. But either way, like with Apollo Client, what they would do is they would, and it, you can see where Apollo Client by default in their documentation has gone now, where you, you acquire the data for a component in the component. So in, usually in the render of the component, unless you use like the Hawk instance of Apollo Client, then, or you basically will, it's kind of like the render props pattern, which I have a, a, a lot of fun things about that. that I'm I've not dealt a fan. With. Yeah, I'm not a fan. I'm, well, I am, but I'm not. Like, you have to know what you're doing. Like, if you create, like, say, a data container component, and this is going to lead to our topic, just so, you know, people aren't wondering why we're talking so much. But We're going to get there, guys. We're going to get there. So you create a data container. So you'll have, like, a component that's called, let's just say that you have, like, a candidate application where, like, someone's applying for a job. So you would have like a candidates API endpoint that says like, what are all the candidates that have applied, right? That, let's just say we have an API called the candidates API and it has a method called get candidates, add candidate, update candidate, whatever, delete candidate, all those things, right? So you've built the API, ignore all that. Then you have the specific need to get the candidates into a component. So say you have a search box and you say like, I want to find a candidate whose name is Greg. Right, And then on the bottom, you'll have the result list that view, shows all the candidates with the name of Greg 
or potentially a last name of Greg or whatever. Some search, let's just say you did some kind of search situation, whether it's like a crude one or like, you know, Laravel Scout or like some kind of like managed search program or, you know, solar or whatever. You've done some kind of search situation on the API and you've abstracted it through some, uh, what do they call them in GraphQL? The, not the reducers, the, whatever their equivalent of action, mutations. That's mutations, what yeah. Mutations, yeah. Trying to go back like the last time I used GraphQL. So you'd have like a mutation or something. You've done all that work, right? What they expect you to do is call that mutation inside of the render of a component, typically. And in the, the way that, in the render, yeah, in that the render. Oh man! Because the only way that you have there's other ways to do this. This is just like if you look at their docs, this is what they recommend you do. So it's kind of like Redux, where you would bind events into the component, and then the component can call those events. But typically, those events are not available in in the uh, the lifecycle methods of that component. That's so weird. Unless why would you, use, you not? Why well, would you set it up in a way that you can't act, use your lifecycle, especially inside of the component? That's, well, that's I weird. think it's just like their examples show you doing it in the render of a component because you're like, this component's going to render, and then you're going to go acquire data, and then that becomes the render props context provider type situation, and then you have your data. If you look at their documentation, that's I believe weird. that's what it shows. That's weird. Unless, and that's not just Apollo Client that does that. It's literally Formic does it because Formic will yeah, have like Formic does the render that. props version, the Hawk version, and the full component version, right? Where it's like the inversion of control on a component. Yeah. They have like three ways of doing it. And then that's kind of like how people have moved these days is to doing the render props way because it ends up being cleaner and allows you to use context providers, right? And hooks is going to change a lot of hooks, this. Yeah, hooks is going to change basically yeah, all this. Yeah, but we're stuff. kind of in this middleware where they're like, like you watch Abramov's video about hooks and you're like, whoa, that's so crazy, cool. right? Oh my God, it's going to fix so many things. That's where it's going because everybody likes using non-class components. That's why yeah. they build hooks. Like most people, the common knowledge of, of React is like, let's use a functional component wherever we can Let's use a pure functional component whenever we really, really can. Not a pure function. Sorry, that was a stateless component. Functional component right? Like a stateless component. I'm thinking of class components. But yeah, you would go from like, the order of operations would be use a functional component if you can. Use a pure component component if you wanted to extend a component. So you'd say create component class cats equal, uh, extends react or dot pure component or whatever. Yeah. Right, that's the second best. The third best would be like, you know, just extend a regular react dot component. But then you can use the lifecycle. So like the way you kind of get around this is by using uh, what's called like a, a data container component that would be the component that doesn't have lifecycle methods. So you kind of like triple wrap your components. So you'll say, I have this component called candidates container and it's a pure functional component, functional stateless component that really inside of it is a single reference in the render to a mutation that turns into a render prop. Because Apollo Client is using, uh, what are they called? Context providers in the background, react.createContext. So it'll like have that pattern where it's like mutation, name of the mutation, 
And then inside of that, there's like a, for the render, where like the markup of the component would be is a function. And then that gives you data, error, and loading. So the mutation is actually wrapping all of that stuff inside the render prop? It's, the mutation is the first thing in the render of the container. Ooh, it's, you don't have to do it this way, but we did a whole project uh, recently with GraphQL and a very, very smart engineer of ours uh, you know, structured all the React stuff. I was working on another crazy project, but very smart developer of ours structured all the and the components, and they ended up looking like this because I believe that's what's in the Apollo client's docs. I'm pretty sure that's that's the pattern that Apollo tells you to do, but it yeah. still sounds weird when you explain it that way that you've got a mutation inside a render component inside yeah. a wrapper. Because one of the like tricky problems that I had to help them solve is they were trying to request data before they rendered a formic form. So they needed like some data from this, the API before. So they needed a mutation that would essentially return a formic component. So and you can like pre-fill the form or something? Or? So yeah, like you can set initial data or whatever. Yeah. But part of the problem that you'll notice with formic is that you then have to, it's not a problem, it's just the concept of these uh, render props components lead to these kind of interesting situations. But you have to then create a class-based form component that's a child of the container. Which is functional. Which is functional. So you have the functional container with the mutation and then the data inside of the render. And then what it's inverting that to, inversion of control, is to a formic component. That sounds so backwards when you say it like that. I mean, it works. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't doubt that that works, but it just sounds weird. But it's like, it's React's concept of like isolation. So you have, and that's what Abramov talks a lot about uh, wrapper hell. So you have like, if you look at any like React 16.4 before hooks and before concurrency and all these new things that are coming, you look at them and there are all these components with like 50 million nested. Like what every developer hates where the components, like the, the view goes to the right and like you're just constantly nesting, 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 nesting. That happens in React when you don't even think it does. You're like, I have one component that is a function, pure functional component, and then I have an Apollo mutation, and then I have some data, and then I have Formic. But what you end up seeing, if you look in the React Dev Tools, is you have your functional component, which probably isn't the root. It's probably some other no, nested. It's another, it's right, nested it's like some other root, yeah. turtle nested turtles. And especially if you use style components, then oh, you God. have... Then you have wrapper held just for styling. Yeah. You have theme providers and, you know, all these things. So, you know, you go down the turtles, you get to this component that needs data, and then you have a rendered functional render prop component. But what's in that is actually a context provider, maybe down a couple tier. of them. And then turtles down more, you actually have your formic component that then turtles down to another uh, context provider because formic has one. And then it turtles down to your actual component. Yeah. So then you end up getting like 15 components. You're like, what? You can't even read the whole tree in the dev tools because it goes off to the right. It's like yeah. off the screen. You can't even read the props. Yeah, so that Ooh, happens. That's fun. But either way, like getting back to like the... This is actually one of the things that uh, I've always wanted to talk about is that I've had just a ton of interesting situations and I, I could be totally wrong. So like legitimately at me if you have a better way of handling like data. But it gets... Even more crazy when you're, let's just say you're not using GraphQL because you can't always use GraphQL and you happen to have like a component that needs data from multiple 
containers or even multiple, multiple parts, sources in general. Multiple. Let's just say you have a situation where you would need more, not just keys in a Redux store, but like more data period, like more containers. If, say you ignored Redux and you're like, I'm going to do what everybody hipster on the internet tells me to do, which is use uh, context providers. And you're like, this, you want to be really cool about it. So you're like, context provider A holds candidates, context provider B holds locations, and context provider C holds positions. And one component needs access to all three of those. Well, then you have to like either nest, 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 three context providers, or you have to use recompose, which is actually a very, very uh, simple, isolated API of what... Um, Redux's composes. I don't. I think Redux uses its own version of it, and then Recompose was like, "What if you wanted to do all those things without Redux?" So it has like the compose function, and you can say like, "I want to compose this component with nested nested context provider one, context provider two, context provider three. But then you get collisions because the component that you're then subjugating all of those context providers to has an amalgamation of all of those things props. Oh, dear. And all of their actions, and if it, you have and actions. the Recompose doesn't mash it all together. It doesn't flatten it correctly, right? Uh, it can. I mean, Recompose is pretty smart. But you usually, what I did on this particular project that I'm mentally referencing is that I basically wrote a hawk that allowed you to do um, map state to props and map actions, whatever those two methods are of Redux. It was modeled after that. So you could say like, the props of compose entry one are called candidates. The props of compose entry B are called positions and C is a, whatever the other one was, locations. So you can oh, like then, name and them. And then you map those to props. Yeah, because okay. if you look gotcha. at what Redux will do is if you have two collisions of a key, so you have two containers that have candidates, they'll collide and the second one will live. Yeah. So that happens. And then unless you use map state to props and then you can name them. And you can merge them and you can manipulate them and do all kinds of really smart stuff, right? But if you don't use Redux, you're like, I'm going to be a hipster and I'm going to use context providers, but my context providers all have their own state and all have their own actions. You have to basically rebuild map state to props. Yeah, you have to orchestrate all that stuff yourself with is a mess. Yeah. Just let Redux do it. Guys, don't, well, don't be a hero. You can, but like, what if you're using GraphQL and you're using Apollo Client? Apollo Client uses context providers. It doesn't use Redux. Isn't there a version of Apollo Client that still runs Redux? I feel like we, we talked about this because somebody one. tweeted at, at us uh, about the fact that Apollo no longer uses Redux. Yeah, and I learned that after. I, I had used Apollo Client. Uh, I was watching like one of the, the Steven Gerder. Uh, shout out to this guy. He does really good courses on Udemy. Grider. Get his Grider. Right. I haven't watched the video in like two years. So, he is yeah. really good. We'll have links. He has very, very good... React courses. One of them is on GraphQL. He's a really very, very well explained topics. But when I did that class early on, it was using Apollo Client, whatever that used Redux. So that's the one that I learned when I used GraphQL. And then just due to the nature of the work that uh, I'm doing at my company, I didn't, we don't have any projects that use GraphQL because we're dealing with corporations that have their own data layers and have their own specific requirements and have. Interesting CMSs. Oh, man. 
which is the topic. Oh, man. But I wanted to get like this conversation about the complexity just to summarize. And obviously, like, you know, when you're building projects, you know, for a client, you have a timeline and you kind of like develop the best strategy you can going into it. For what you're given. For what you're given and what you think you're going to be given. And then sometimes there's interesting requirements where you say can't use Redux because you don't have nope. a common root component nope. because you're using like Adobe AEM. And AEM is rendering the React components and each of them can be dragged into the CMS as like a whole unit. You're like, here's a header. Here's a carousel. Here's a whole page. Here's a whole page if you want to. Or here's a whole like, uh, pop, like uh, an app, like a spa. Yeah. And you're like, I'm going to drop a spot on that page. A, within a content managed authored page. Yep. Yeah. Like that's a requirement that a big business will give you. So you can't always use like a bunch of like hipstery type thing. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to make a to-do app, essentially a glorified <laughs> to-do app where you're like, I'm going to use all the coolest stuff. And it's going to be like, I have these data sources that are all in GraphQL. You know, the back end is all clean and no, nope. you're like calling a 1995 API. Yeah, it's like, here's a JSP with dollar signs going to make it react. Yeah, and the great thing about GraphQL is that, yeah, you can do that. You can, like, isolate. Like, I think there was this one uh, book that I read on DevOps. I'll find. I think it was the DevOps handbook. But basically, they talked about this Nordstrom's app where they built, because Nordstrom's has, like, Besides Hotlook, which is here in LA, Nordstrom's itself has like a ridiculous engineering team that's been doing engineering for like 40 years. Yep. Because they were dealing with mainframes when Nordstrom's first went like digital with digital kiosks and those mainframes still run. So they were talking about this like one project where they wanted to get the mainframe to store orders on like an iPad. Like all the stuff in the store was done on a mainframe somewhere. All the stock management and SKU management and all that. But they needed that data to be surfaced on an iPad so that someone could walk around the store, like say in the beauty counter, and you know, go from kiosk to kiosk to kiosk trying to upsell people. And you so can they, just ring people up straight from the Yeah, like iPad. that kind of stuff. Like if you go to Nordstrom's rack, they ring you up from as from an iPhone, they like flip it over like at the Apple store and scan your card and stuff. Yeah. They have all those kind of things. But like those things are communicating with a mainframe. Uh, a Fortran web a, server. A Fortran <laughs> web server maybe like an old mainframe. But the whole point is like today you have the ability to isolate that mainframe behind, let's just say if it's a mainframe, you're probably going to build the interface to the mainframe in something really hardy, like maybe C sharp or <laughs> you probably C. are. Something in C sharp or probably Java. Java sounds about right for that. Java yeah. would be great. Or Scala if you want to be a hipster too, you can do it in Scala. <laughs> I mean, Scala is cool. I haven't learned it, but I, I do know Java. But either way, you would write some kind of interface into it in like a hardy language, like maybe Spring Boot, Spring Framework in Java. And then that thing would have a bunch of code that queries the mainframe, waits, does all that stuff. And all GraphQL does, maybe even in Node, uh, it does is just call the main, call the, the Spring Boot application. Yeah to proxy data from the mainframe. Yeah, your Spring Boot or your Java or your whatever. Yeah, Essentially, some. it's just your API and then you let your client-side code just take care of everything 
yeah. presentation layer wise. Because what you're probably not going to do is tell your endpoint on GraphQL to call the mainframe directly. No, absolutely not. You could, because you know JavaScript Node is amazing, and, and it can Fortran do, can do anything. Right? <laughs> Node can do whatever it wants to, and it can call whatever it needs to. But the idea is you isolate it. You isolate the mainframe behind something that can be tested, built, and managed, and have one team who manages the mainframe adapter in Spring, and then you call that from GraphQL or whatever. So I don't know. Going full circle, there's just there's an interesting situation in React apps where you need to get data f- from or to multiple different places. So like say you're building an e-commerce application and let's just say that you're using a very simple e-commerce management system like uh, Shopify and you're using Shopify's API equivalent as opposed to like liquid and all the stuff that you have, like you're not managing the store necessarily on their system, but you are using their API. You're hiding it behind GraphQL or whatever. um, And you're passing the requests. Obviously the checkout pages will be on Shopify. That's the whole point of Shopify. It's all secure, but anything up to the checkout portion, you're using React. So you're adding things to your cart, on the Shopify API and then representing them to the user. You're going through all the different pages of the products, et cetera, until you get to the point where they say checkout, then boom, you're on Shopify's APIs for security. Now imagine that the client also wants, which is one of the slight downfalls of Shopify, is that it doesn't have like as amazing of a CMS as, say, Squarespace does or Wix, or any of those things that are really visually based and designed to just build you a a view, like a nice little view. So you're going to have to merge data from the whatever content management you choose, system you choose, and you're going to have to send data to and from Shopify. So you have two places where you get data for every component. So imagine a world in which the client tells you that they want the cart to be managed in content and they want to be able to change like the title of the cart, I don't know, the background of the cart, the the way that it looks, they want to add some vignettes to the photos, they whatever. Want like upsell, <laughs> they, <laughs> they want, want some like upsell recommendations and like yeah, all kinds they of want, stuff. They want like a, a recommendation for another product. You can buy it, but that product changes yep. weekly and it's not necessarily managed by Shopify. Like the skew of the product is in Shopify, but the content management of like how, what product is touted is in some other CMS because that's like a better CMS for managing that the content managers know how to use. Oh, so the CMS for the actual like inventory or the data or the, the product well, the itself is separate. And product then yours- would be in Shopify, I would imagine. Cause that you have like, you have different teams. It's a big enough company. You have the product managers who manage the actual products, stocks, and all that, they go to Shopify because they know how to use that. Right. They manage the amount of purchases. They look at like how the products are selling. Are that you know they mark products as out of stock when they run out of them. Some T-shirts been sold out. They mark it as sold out. Whatever. One product team manages the products in Shopify. Another team is managing the promotions, not the promotional codes because that would be in Shopify too. But like. What product is featured? 
what like is the, the actual text? business decisions, the yeah, business rules they, around it. But that person doesn't understand how Shopify works. No. So they want to use some other system that they're more familiar with. Say it's WordPress. Say it's, uh, you know, Craft CMS. Say it's Adobe AEM. Say it's anything. For any level of content management system. But they're used to using that. So they would consume the product data probably directly in the CMS as well as they would on the client. But that's just like, you know, the engineering team has to make sure that the CMS can consume the products so that the content managers can create content around those products, send that to the website. So what I'm getting at is this, this situation that we've elaborated, like created this really complex system is the basis for our discussion about how the heck do I build a headless website with a headless CMS and a headless e-commerce platform in my life? How do I make that happen? It's pretty hard. It's a pretty complex problem. But that's the kind of stuff that you're going to have to do in this day and age when everybody wants headless, serverless, you know, low cost. Shopify is relatively low cost for how good of an e-com solution it is. Uh, And there's CMSs like you know, Contentful, Graph CMS. Uh, what are some other ones you've been using? Uh, I've heard a lot recently advertising on various podcasts. Mm-hmm. Century, Sanity, Sanity IO. There's a there's, there's a like bunch. a billion of them. There's a yeah. there's a lot that are in that same vein of Contentful, Contentful, uh, where they give know. you that headless headlessness. I know that you've you worked a little bit with Contentful, Contentful. Yeah. I don't. Let us know how to pronounce it. I don't really know. I think it's I've just done contentful. a little bit of work with Graph CMS, which I think that was just like one of the first ones I saw that had a GraphQL based endpoint. And I was like, oh, let me go check this out. This is nice. Yeah, so yeah, there's a bunch of that and they all work really nicely. Well, a lot of them work really nicely with Gatsby, which is our preferred starting point for client side code. I'm looking up something. Um, He's looking up the CMSs. But no, yeah, the headless, good, that headless CMS pattern yeah. with React on the front end seems like a very common pattern that will do a lot of stuff. Yeah, headlesscms.org be in the show notes. But this is a great place. And the one I was thinking of is Netlify. That's a big Netlify one is a good one, yep. So there's like a thousand of them. But the point is like all of these things integrate, a lot of them integrate well with, with Gatsby. So that is a good place to start if you're going to use a headless CMS. Um, but like there's some adapters that may not exist for Gatsby. There's a lot of them. I mean, they have, they have at least WordPress. I know they have Netlify because it's one of their top ones and they have Contentful. So I think they have quite a lot of them, but they directly integrate with uh, Gatsby's there's, GraphQL Gatsby layer. plugins, like yeah. Gatsby Source, whatever, Gatsby yeah. Source, Contentful, Gatsby Source, Netlify. Yeah, those plugins that are managed by the Gatsby community. Make everything really nice and easy. You just pop a little, probably a little object in the Gatsby config just to set everything up, right? Yeah, Give and, your that, keys and that, that that's another interesting thing is like they'll talk about how there is a just you know you drop a little bit of code in there. But what I've always found is that unless you're doing the most obvious ways of using something like that to import something, you usually have to kind of write your own thing. And I think like what Gatsby's doing is is really good and they're trying to make it so you don't have to write code just to integrate data. But um, I'm trying to find the list of sources. No, I agree with you. I think 
I understand what you're talking about in terms of if I've got an endpoint that Graph CMS is giving me. Yeah. Well, I'll go over kind of how I was using Graph CMS for that one project that one time. Yeah, set, so up the, 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 set up the Graph CMS, right? It gives you an endpoint. It gives you some keys. So in your front end code, rather than using some sort of prepackaged plugin in the Gatsby setup, I was actually just calling that endpoint directly with... I forget what package it was. Well, there's, but there's GQL, a package specifically GQL. for making GraphQL calls. Yeah, there's GQL. GQL is the. It's like no, it was something NPM more generic. I think it was like that's like literally the one that's built by the org. That it's, might be it. I don't know, but it, yeah. the the syntax for it was very similar to Axios, so it just worked really nicely for that. So I was using that. I had my, I, I had that defined kind of separately, just to make the call. And then from there, I had a directory that was literally just GraphQL queries that were kind of piggybacking off yeah. of that endpoint call. So uh, that stuff is very manual and it's stuff that you have to set up yourself. It's not really going to play all that nicely, even with a very good Gatsby plugin system. But I feel like you should be doing that anyway, right? That's the kind of the, the pattern for web developers is that you've got some sort of backend, some sort of API that you're calling from your front end code. And then you do a little mishmash of the data and the content. And then you kind of use it on your front end. I mean, that's, that's a very common pattern that you and I both run into quite a bit. It is, but I think that sometimes people underestimate like how complicated that part in the middle where you said you go get some data and then mishmash and it's in the client. Like, yeah, that, I, that's I, the part that no, I've always had I, trouble with. I, <laughs> Totally agree with you. I am definitely making that sound a lot easier than it is. The mishmashing part, I like to call it uh, data gymnastics. We data have to soup. kind of like, it's <laughs> yeah. kind of like an obstacle course, right? You have to uh, rub your belly and pat your head while yeah. doing the Lord's Prayer or something, like at the same time. Like you have to go through these very specific steps of, you know, do 10 jumping jacks at 12 p.m. on a Thursday in order to make everything work. Yeah. And it's like, so they'll have these like processes where you like you add like the graph the Gatsby source graph CMS for instance and I was looking at that one so they basically you add that and then in the config you define your queries like I, I'm, I I'm not gonna I bash define it my queries in, the, in config. the Gatsby config though that's weird I don't know that don't this know is like the that. only way that you can do it but uh I mean you then end it's just uh it's um, it's not even like JavaScript at that point. It's just a, you're inside of an object, right? You're literally writing an object in a template string. Oh, that's weird. I don't well, you're like writing that. the query in the template string because you're you're saying like for this particular endpoint, uh, you're using this query. But it's like you know, I don't know. Like what I end up running into a lot is like, say you need to query uh, Shopify first to get the products, and then you need to query the content management system to get like the content for that product. And you have to get them to be able to... I'm doing a thing with my hands. Crisscross. Do this thing where they kind of talk to each other, right? You have to get yeah. the products into your Shopify cart and then you have to be able to update your cart with your products. And yeah, you and then if there's a promotion... promotion from over here yeah. and get all of it to and talk to each other. that in there. Yeah, the, the Gatsby plugin, plus it's a little hard, is not going to be able to handle all of that because that's a pretty complex system. So but that's like That's the thing. Like I always find... 
people who show examples of how to use certain things like this. They'll say like, you know, get all artists and then maybe update an artist. Or, or this is the example they have right here in the Graph CMS. You're like, okay, cool, I'm going to get all the artists. I'm going to get the ID. I'm going to get the name. GraphQL is great. Oh, I have the two keys I need and I have all the artists. Fantastic. But like that doesn't always work when you need to get like jujitsu data from like four places. And yeah. then you can argue like, well, the place you should be doing that is in Graph CM is in GraphQL itself. So well, like, you're like, what if I, yeah, what if I want to now, uh, if I have all my artists and I'm on Katy Perry's page, listening to Katy Perry, as I often do, totally. And then I'm like, I want to go buy a vinyl record of Katy Perry's last album. Yeah. How do I do that in Graph CMS? You can't, right? You have to go. You have to get go the to your Shopify, Shopify API endpoint where you're selling yeah. vinyl albums of Katy Perry. Exactly, and, and that the, into the page. And the and the great thing uh, theoretically about Graph CMS is is that it is hosting a GraphQL instance for you. So you're like, great, I don't yep. need one. But what I found, I'm I'm not trying to uh, bash any of these products individually because they probably do have a way to solve this, but. Like you end up with a situation where, like in Graph CMS, the only way that you can use GraphQL is to access the objects you've created in the CMS. Yeah, I don't know if that's true, but that's what ends up happening. Well, that's the use. That's the idea behind GraphQL, just in general, right? Is that it gives you this data, but then the actual query itself is massaging it in a very basic yeah. way um, to make it work for your front end. Yeah, but it's not like you can self-host Graph CMS. You can't self-host. No, exactly. And if, and if anything, what they'll end up doing if they if they I've I've never used Graph CMS. You can talk more to it, but like say, you know, you create your let's just say artists like this example. You create artists in the CMS, and you're trying to get some of the data from the artist, but you also want to get that artist popular records that are sold on the store. The way that you would solve that is you'd write an endpoint that says, you know, get all artists and products whatever, as a query in GraphQL. And then it would chain in GraphQL two async awaits to go get the data from wherever the data source is, the CMS data source. And then it would also go get from that query to get the artist information. It would take some query to go get the products from Shopify. Yeah, and, and then you have to associate them. You join them together yeah. inside of your uh, GraphQL, I forgot what they call them, but the the... It's not like a reducer, but the thing that joins all the data together, there's like a transform, whatever word they use, is like a transformer or whatever. And then you return a clean set of data from the schema that includes those two. That's all set up nicely and laid out the way that your front end yeah. person who doesn't know anything about data would like to use well, it. Well, you know, a lot of data people, a lot of front end people are learning that they have to learn how to deal with data. Yes, thank you, but, React. <laughs> but, you know, the thing is like the 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 part inside of react that goes and gets that data like the problem that you run into with like large projects and many people working on it is that where the heck do you put the business logic like you'll have this situation where like you're back if you if you think of development as you have a back end team and a front end team which i don't um you don't always there's certain things that it's you know easier for a back end dev to do in air quotes everybody should know at least how the data and the business logic of your business works. So you say, we sell records and we recommend, we recommend songs to people, artists to people, and, or we you know, have that example with the Shopify thing where we recommend products for people to buy that are massaged with authored data in the CMS. That's what the user's presenting, but everybody who works on the team has to understand that 
the data doesn't just magically come out of this GraphQL endpoint that they just call and they're like, oh, there's all the data. Like there's going to be other business rules that like some front end, not front end, but like some product manager is going to come to your front end team and say, you know, I want you to order those so that the product that is um, the number one recommended of the month is first. And I want it done in five minutes or whatever, or yeah. like an hour. You're going to get an email from a CMO from yeah. three times on the wings that says, I want you to make sure that Katy Perry's vinyl record comes most, before Taylor Swift's final yeah, record on every single page. Because I literally even just on to Taylor Swift's page, <laughs> yeah. even on Katy Perry's page, even on Beyonce's page. I want all these lined up a very certain way. Yeah. And that's where you get the rules from. But if you don't understand how the technologies interpret these rules and how those systems work together, then you're not going to have a very, it's, you're going to have a bad time. So yeah. And product people are often like, oh, well, I don't care. Katy Perry just called us and, and we're doing a promotion with her. Like we need it up in uh, by Friday. Maybe it's not in two hours, but it's like by Friday, make it happen. Yeah. So either if you think of your team as like a back end team and a front end team, you either divide the product manager would divide the tasks into the front end tasks which if the back-end team is handling the sorting, there's no front-end task. There's no, no, there shouldn't be. So no. the back-end team would do it. But say the back-end team is working on version two of, I don't know, the content management systems filtering API or something, and they're like busy. They're like working on site indexing or whatever, something else, and they're busy until the end of the week. So you'd be like, all right, well, in the front-end, just add a condition that sorts the Katy Perry stuff first or whatever. So now you have business logic in your React code. In your client-side code. Which, which happens. It does happen. Often. But it will. Uh, there are reasons why developers have to do stuff like that. They're never good and they will always eventually break. Yeah, and a lot of the time you'll have the dev who's working on it maybe doesn't care if it's good. Oh, they're Sometimes. Not, well, I wouldn't say I mean, doesn't care or is just not... Well, uh, just isn't incentivized to make it work. It's more of there. There's so much in that scenario. There's so much of this needs to be done now in a certain way. I don't care about long term. Like I sure. don't have this long term idea of structure and where certain pieces of code need to go. So you start taking shortcuts like that, where you go uh, if. Yeah. <laughs> index first is not Katy Perry. Index first equals Katy Perry. Like it's it. That is a extremely fragile, brittle pattern that will either build up so much technical debt on the front end side that you will never be able to onboard anybody ever again, mm -hmm. or it's just going to collapse under its own weight. You're going to have to redo the whole thing. Yeah. Which have fun explaining that to CMO guy who's emailing you. Well, and then CMO guy's away. like, I want version two up by Q2. And you're like, well. And it's like, do you have any idea yeah. how much work that that takes? because of the decisions that you've made over the last years, yeah, last few like, years. I don't care. You want to get paid, make it happen. So maybe well, it's a little it, bit strong to say the dev didn't care, but there's a strenuous circumstances that lead to technical debt being introduced. And it happens on every project. It yeah. happens on projects I've worked on. It happens all over the place because sometimes you just got to do what you got to do and yeah. you need to get it done. And someone's waiting for this particular feature to be built and whatever. So I don't know. I just want to make sure that like anybody who's trying to build a headless CMS really thinks out as much as they can how you get all of the data massaged and jujitsued into being where it needs to be. And one thing, one piece of advice that I could give is that when you're initially 
structuring your proof of concept of like getting data out of GraphQL and out of all these different sources and you've like, you've demoed to your product manager, like we have this idea, we're going to use GraphQL, we're going to use Gatsby, we're going to, you know, create a custom source. So we've gotten past that part. We're going to build our own source plugin. We're going to write all this logic. Heck, we're even going to put the source for Gatsby on our company's NPM, like our private NPM. Yeah, we're going to break apart the source. We're going to break apart the API. And we're going to create an API layer to all of our services inside of our private NPM or, you know, as a monorepo or whatever. You know, you're going to do all those things. You're going to do it the right way. You're going to either use a yarn repo, a yarn monorepo, whatever their equivalent is, the yarn modules, or you're going to do something to make it really trick, but you're going to separate them so that you can have teams manage each one or you can reuse the API by importing it from the module, whatever. Um, You're going to do all these things right. Uh, and you can still run into these situations where you end up creating technical debt if you don't think through like some of the more uh, edge cases. But you don't want to go too far on the edge cases because then you end up overthinking it. You add complexity to the simple cases. So this is a a good point. Yeah, I'm glad you bring this up because if you're creating a CMS from scratch, right, you have this balance of... I need to make this simple enough to pick up, mm-hmm. right? But I also need it to be sufficiently able to handle the complex edge cases so that Greg Parsons will come in and use our CMS for his his personal projects and not talk smack about us on this podcast. Where do you think that line is, right? Because I think that something like Graph CMS, for me as someone who's mostly front-end uh, experience-wise, Graph CMS was super simple to set up. Right. Yeah, it looked really nice. Normally, a front end person when they see the word schema, they kind of like, "Oh my god, what the hell is that?" the The entire interface of GraphCMS was very was drag and drop, literally drag and drop for all the basic data types that you would model out. the uh, The instances of each of these models that you've schemed out were super simple to set up and really straightforward. That sort of straightforwardness and simplicity directly makes it harder for them to set up the features that Greg Parsons needs in order to jujitsu his data from 14 different endpoints into one shopping cart. So where do you think that line is? Well, how do you, how do you think that that problem can be solved? I don't know if like one product will ever solve that. I think like you just, as the developer, you have to understand where each one of these content management systems sits and where and how they can integrate into your your pipeline. Like I don't think it should be the responsibility of say graph CMS to come up with like something that would like solve this problem. What the way that I think that they might solve it and again I've never used their product, but the way they might solve it is by using something that's similar to like lambdas or serverless. They would say like yeah, you can hit our Graph CMS API directly, and you can say like, you know, my particular endpoint slash pro, uh, artists, and then send it a GQL query, and that's like a GraphQL playground or whatever they do. You can make like an API, and that gives you a GraphQL playground, and then you can do whatever you want with your data. They could within reason of what you've modeled, right? They can do that, or what they can do is they can say, hey, I'm going to make this system that's called 
you know, uh, lambdas or functions or, you know, CMS as a service, whatever they want to call it. And you're going to create these little widget-like things that run in their API and allow you to manipulate and massage the data and join things by writing essentially your own snippets of queries. So like a extensibility system, essentially. Yeah, that would be the best way to do it. And there's a lot of examples of uh, companies that have done things like that with passes and sasses and all that. They'll build a lot of the newer ones. Will add in like some kind of like lambda as a service type thing. Like PubNub has their own like lambda type thing that whenever an event is triggered, it fires like a you can fire like a custom function. Doesn't Stripe have one too? I think. Um, something similar to that maybe I don't know if Stripe does because all they do is they have an API that handles the purchasing so you have like all these endpoints for like ad subscription buy product charge card whatever I thought they had a thing that like triggers webhooks or something like that I don't know uh, well they have webhooks that, that trigger you when like a subscription is renewed so yeah there's like the webhook way where you can say like whenever Stripe is going to take some kind of action trigger a webhook that then calls something on your API somewhere but like that's a good example. It's actually a really good example. Like say your product management system is the actually the CMS and the charges go directly to Stripe. So how yeah. would you how would you like model that? Because you're using Graph CMS because they give you like a playground and they give you Graph CMS GraphQL hosted for you. But like where in Graph CMS do you add charge like the ability to proxy commands to I don't know if you'd ever do this, but proxy charges to graph to stripe the only way you're really ever going to get that is if you host graphql yourself yeah and then you put it behind an ssl and you really secure it i mean we might need to take another look at it my use case when i was using graph cms was not that involved so there might be additional functionality that i just didn't really get to in that project no of course and it's it's i'm just saying like uh there's this idea that a lot of these products can be used to build like really simple APIs that are like CRUD operations against a few models. So you have like, in this one you have artists and then you have product promotions and you have whatever. And like product promotions is a pivot table with some extra data and like artists is an actual model and then songs is a model and whatever. Like that's easy to model in Graph CMS. But there's always that like gray area where things have to kind of join together in interesting ways and then what ends up happening is that maybe GraphCMS isn't the tool you use. You you build your own GraphQL, or you use some library that joins two GraphQL API endpoints together, and you have like your own hosted GraphQL that maybe you're slick enough to put on Lambda and it has no hosting costs, roughly no hosting costs. But then that one joins together with another GraphQL endpoint, which is GraphCMS. And you start to have to get into this. That's just, yeah, that's a mess. Well, that's where you get into infrastructure. And that's yeah, why you have DevOps people that. That's a well, lot. I mean, that's the thing. Like when you're building products that are more, that are not as superficial as a to do app, which is funny because that's like 90%. And I know it's the easiest and the most common way to represent how a library works. Like Vue has to do examples and React has to do examples. They all do because. It's a simple way to model how like the system would work. It has all the features. It has all the CRUD functions. Yeah, it has all the CRUD functions, but sometimes you're not only doing CRUD. And that's like the thing that I would say. And I guess my takeaway would be 2019 skills to learn. Obviously GraphQL. Mm-hmm. Obviously schema modeling. If you've if you're a developer who has never dealt with modeling data, get on that. Like you don't have to learn MySQL. You don't have to learn like complex joins and inner joins. Just learn how to model data. 
Yeah. Learn how to like take the data that someone's telling you. Because I can tell you <laughs> when writing APIs, one of the most annoying things to do is because you forgot a value you need or you have to cache some interstitial value about a model that you didn't think of, like a Boolean. And you have to add it because you're going to have to add it in your API. You're going to have to add it on GraphQL as a schema. You're going to have to account for it on the front end. You're going to have to, like, once you forget to add a property, which I guarantee you will happen, you're going to be like, this is repetitive. It screws up your entire app. It screws up your entire app. But that's because, like, either you had to because someone introduced a new feature or you forgot something. So learning how to model data and in relation to not just how it's stored at rest, like, there are these artists that are sitting in a database, but like how it's manipulated, massaged, and like what kind of booleans and flags there are around it, and like is Katy Perry promoted equals true on the on the you know the the artist one, like whatever. Learn how to model that data and think everything through beforehand, and don't be like you know who handles that is my principal engineer or my whatever. No, you should learn how to do it. You should if learn you're how to a do it front yourself. end person that has never dealt with a schema or any sort of data modeling, go do that. Yeah. Go fire up, go sign up for GraphCMS, go fire that up and use Greg's example he's talking about. Take, let's give them a good example. So take like five musical artists. Let's, let's spit them out. Katy Perry, hmm. Taylor Swift. Well, Taylor Swift's not a good example. So Katy Perry. Adam Levine. What about that oh Super Bowl? <laughs> Katy Perry, <laughs> Maroon 5, Travis yeah. Scott. Big, Big boy. boy, Bruno Mars, because he was there last year. Take Bruno's those dope. five yeah. groups. Take the last three albums from each of those five groups, mm-hmm. right? Model in your column for, are they being promoted or not? Yeah, and right? all the data the specific, about the, the, the tracks, specific album, everything. All the tracks, all that stuff. Model that out in your graph CMS. Go in there and start clicking around, start messing with that. Yeah. Once you have that modeled, build yourself a front end for that that has an individual page for each artist, has an individual page for each album, and it has a list of all the songs for each one of those albums and each one of those artists. Yeah. And you'll see that it's a lot more straightforward than you think. And it's also very important as a front-end developer to understand how those models works and how those relationships works because that determines how you build the front-end and how you build the view layer for that. Yeah. So go check that out, kids. Learn something this year. <laughs> Yeah, and I think one of the things that's, uh, I think one of the trends of 2019 is going to be that infamous full stack dev term oh, that God. everybody hates. But I honestly think, I mean, I'm like an engineer, so I've mostly done. Uh, I started doing APIs, backend systems, DevOps, and etc. And I've always kind of interweaved what I would say is like application development. Like I don't love or do CMS, CSS a lot. No, you, know, you love CSS. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to do a whole episode on CSS. Where you could just great. school me on everything. It's going to yeah. be awesome. So like I can, I can get my way around like Bootstrap or Bulma or like, you know, building stuff with uh, some kind of like CSS framework. And I probably am more dangerous with just straight CSS than I act like I am. But it's not like I'm out there building, you know, responsive multi-breakpoint websites. There's people that I know, you yourself, one of them, that are way better than that that than I am. You can whip together the CSS for something in like half the time, a quarter of the time that I could. 
Yeah, maybe. But I'll I'll model your jujitsu. Yeah, you'll do the data. You'll give me like a fully working shopping cart with all of yeah. our Katy Perry albums, and it just looks it. like garbage. It just looks like crap. It's like yeah. using the stock fields. Yeah, it's all it's all like right on the left edge of the screen. I mean, so I can I can get it on the right side. Whatever. Anyways. You can center it at least, right? I, I could I could do a little bit, but that's it's a trick not question because centering things is actually a lot harder than it's. Well, a flexbox, man, flexbox. That's true. You know flexbox. Yeah, you know flexbox. I think Somewhat. I think that um, your main thing about the quote unquote full stack dev is that um, a lot of times a full stack dev is jack of all trades, master of none. Yeah, and it's not a really good way. It's not a really good target it's not. to shoot for. No, and I think a good 2019 target would be. You're not a jack of all trades, but like you're just a React, GraphQL, some kind of content management system, backend, you know, even if it's WordPress, like, you know, you take your skills from WordPress that you've had for years, you know, make WordPress headless. Make Don't WordPress. use any of the PHP for rendering components or anything. Just, you know, enable the API and hope to God you secured it enough because that's one of the problems with WordPress. Secure that API, put that in front of GraphQL, and then start using it to render React apps. Do do something like that because, and and don't get stuck on the like, the only thing I know is React because, no, the things change in development all the time. But it's a good place to learn. No, but knowing React as a front end developer forces you to understand where that data is coming from, what it's doing. Yeah, right. The whole pattern around React is that the only thing we care about is the data. And yeah. all the all the markup stuff is is taken care of. So then the next logical step is, where is that data coming from? Yeah. What is it doing? What does it look like? How do I want it to look? How do I want it to act? Right. These are the next steps for your your React developer. Yeah, and even within the app, like how do they funnel between components? Like, yep. ends up becoming more complicated than you think. Like the examples they give you on website on like um, React or whatever, the ones that they always write in their blogs are like to-dos or whatever. They're like, you have this widget. It's an amazing widget. It's written in, you know, standard JS. So there's no semicolons. I hate you. And <laughs> we love semicolons. I, I like the traditional JavaScript, don't, whatever. Don't be a savage, folks. Use your semicolons. Yeah, don't be savage. Don't, don't you know, just type the freaking semicolons. They're, it's part of the language. It's part of the language. It tells you that that's the end of it. Yeah, and there's all kinds of situations where the parser will get broken if you don't put a semicolon in certain cases. There are minifiers that will break if you don't put semicolons, yeah. even if your ESLint says it's okay to not have semicolons. So yeah, well, don't ESLint, be a savage. ESLint, you can do whatever you want because you can write your own rules. Be, yeah. You can be a savage. You can be like, you know, I want to make it so that it's all three-spaced. Yeah, but that does... Oh my God, that's You could do it you in ESLint. Just because you can doesn't mean you should, folks. No, it doesn't. It doesn't mean you should. But yeah, I don't know. I think my advice for this year would be, you know, headless CMSs are not going anywhere. No. They are getting better and better and better. Uh, they may not cover all use cases. So, you know, continue learning other things. Uh, but try to figure out how to live in that gray area of the data jujitsu. Because that soup is that like area where you're like, I'm getting data from Shopify, I'm getting data from Craft CMS or, or Contentful or WordPress or whatever the heck it is. And all of that stuff comes together and, and somehow congeals itself into rendering into beautiful components. That's what you get paid a ton of money for. Yeah, That's where the money is in, in web development is being an application developer. And that's why I think 
the you know the full stack term is going to come back in the next couple of years but the concept of like serverless is coming in it's not always good for everything so you don't always need to like set up servers necessarily but if you if you're at like a huge company let's just take uber as an example you're going to be dealing with servers like there is oh, graph yeah. cms but yeah, you yeah. know they they don't necessarily. They probably don't use it. They might use it for like a landing page somewhere here they and probably there. Probably have maybe. their own thing that they built in house. Probably, um, but you know, they use Cassandra and like distributed databases inside of Kubernetes, and they do all kinds of crazy crap because they're running Uber, and they have all kinds of data pipeline systems that are running in different Kubernetes clusters that you know run Kafka and do all kinds of crazy, crazy stuff. But you know. They have, you know, 10,000 engineers to manage that. 10,000? I don't know how many they have. They have a lot. It's probably like a thousand. A Maybe thousand a thousand. is a lot. A thousand is a lot of engineers. It's a whole building worth of people. It's crazy. Yeah. It's a crazy, crazy amount of people. But, you know, that's what you need to manage Uber. And, you know, Uber, when was the last time it went down? When was the last time you I couldn't know, get I a ride? I haven't. I'm a, I'm a Lyft person. I, okay, I well, deleted my Lyft. Uber a long time. <laughs> well, whatever. But, you know. That's a different episode, guys. Yeah, I don't know. But just, I'm just using it as an example. But slap in Lyft. When was the last time you couldn't get a Lyft? It's literally one of their number one KPIs of their business is when someone wants to order a Lyft, they get a Lyft. Yeah, availability is a, is a Availability is different. Availability of cars is not Not cars uh, of the app itself. Like the scalability of all the oh. services that go into the app, they have to be up and yeah, ready yeah, to go yeah. all okay. the time for everyone all the time in every zip code yeah. all the time in every country we legally with every set of and rules that's a hard and problem it doesn't problem. sound like it's a hard problem but combine the problems that come with that with the scale of something like a lift that makes it an exponentially yeah. harder problem for a sec there i thought you were talking about like the availability of cars but that's not no that's, that's different that's, that's not, not something that tech people can solve like no. we there are people that you know engage the drivers need to get more drivers but yeah like that kind of system is going to require larger uh, data structure, a lot of larger data systems, pipelines, and and like all this stuff. That's More a whole nother. That's a whole nother jujitsu. Yeah, that's yeah. high some, level stuff. Some of the smartest developers I've ever known were black belt jujitsu DevOps people that also knew application development. Oh, that will that guys that pays the bills for the rest of your life. Trust me. If you if you are really in it for like, I want a career for the rest of my life that I don't have to ever have to worry about. That That's the way that you want to go. But you, the thing is, you always have to be smarter than everyone else. But one of the interesting things that you'll find like with, uh, like whether or not you're going to use a pass or a SaaS, like a, a platform as a service or what is SaaS? Uh, software, software as a service. Software as a service. Well, now it's all passes, platforms, whatever. But say like, Graph CMS is a pass. It's a platform that you can use as a service in your application and they host everything. They do security. They manage whether or not the, your application is up. They manage where your data is getting stored at rest. They do all that stuff for you. You know, it, sometimes you can use that for a portfolio site. You could use it for a microsite, if those even exist anymore, a landing site or some kind of specific application for a brand. But then you go and you look at like, you know, what is Ferrari using to manage their inventory system? It's not going to be Graph CMS. It's no. going to be some. Be AM. Well, it's some My, MySQL database that's been running like in, in, in Italy that like. It's sitting in a box under someone's desk. It's been there for like 30 years. It's in and a beige box. It's like I, I don't know 
how they do it, but you know, it, it'll be something like that. And that system has tons of business logic in it and tons of rules and the pipeline might not be clear and how they get their data might not be clear. And your job is to just live within that system and not get fired. Yeah, those are hard, pro- hard problems. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. I, I have had a lot of fun with CMSs. Um, We've been through a lot of them. Yeah, I've used you know everything from uh, what's the Laravel one? Uh, October. October. Oh I've man, used... we thought that was the one true CMS for a while there. It was pretty good, but you know it had some of the same kind of problems. Like what happens? You know, because everything. Just to take that as an example to solidify my point, you know, October does everything inside of either plugins. So you have to write a custom plugin, or it'll do the requests at the top of the template for the page type. So you create a page type called home, and at the very top, there's a block of PHP. Oh, God. That's inside of, if it's inside of a, a like a, like a twig-like file. Oh, jeez. And there's like a equal, equal, equal separating that from the twig part. But what's on the top is the, essentially the controller for that view. And then on the bottom is like the renderer that view oh God. and you set data on the top and then it gets set to the bottom uh, but like it's most it's most like simplistic form that's where your your data business logic goes because you're like i'm gonna go grab the data from you know october and laravel or whatever over here and then i'm gonna massage it and set up some properties and pass it to the view and then that the view is going to render it and do its iterations and twig or whatever and blade or whatever it uses and it's going to render the data and I don't know, but you end up with the situation where you either write a plugin that your junior and mid-level devs might not understand what it is unless you literally point at the controller and you say, you add your business logic there or they learn, you know, they figure out their way around it or you, you know, use a different CMS. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that one's hard. I feel like there was a, a phase there when we were working together where we were like Indiana Jones in search of the one true CMS. Yeah, it's still and we happening. Went through, I mean, yeah, it hasn't been solved. It, I mean, the this the one true CMS is GraphQL. That's really <laughs> why I'm saying because Does GraphQL in general. No, because you can front any CMS that's headless. Like Craft can run in headless mode with the Elements API, or you know, uh, you can just create APIs out of a lot of frameworks like WordPress can be used as an API. You have to make sure you secure the shit out of it. Yeah, it's kind of a mess. Yeah. It's a, it gets security, you know, gets better. There's a company that backs it, but it's also the, on like 98% of web, pres, web pages run WordPress, something like it's that. It's not 98%. Like, I think it's something it's like... probably 80, 70 to 80. Se- 98%? Whatever. Jesus. Well, whatever. Come on. Statistics, now. who cares? Don't, 70, don't, it's like 70% so of... Uh, like news outlets run WordPress. Yeah. You wouldn't think it, but they do. Yeah, like, they do. And Gadget, all of them. Yep. But they probably are moving towards running it behind a layer of something else, like GraphQL. And then build, because everybody wants that hot React application that's yeah. easy to work on. Which it makes sense. Loading. Like the reason why the whole headless CMS thing is a thing is because of React. Or not because of React, but it's because those the reason why around together. Oh, yeah. I forgot about my biggest gripe. <laughs> the reason why headless CMSs are so popular is because how are you going to serve and render React in PvP, PHP, oh, PvP. PvP. <laughs> in the Crucible? How are you going to get Shacks to let you render <laughs> React? No, Server. like in PHP or Java. How, you know, um, you can, yeah. you, how are you going to get AEM to serve or render Java, like React? Yeah. You can it's using hard. Nashorn. It's hard. I've tried it. But you, you had to take a couple of cracks at that 
to, yeah. to get it to work. Well, what we ended up doing was not necessarily server rendering it. We took a Gatsby-like approach where you would render loading states for components and then you would tell a Webpack plugin. It wasn't like React Snap or any of those or Gatsby because they're designed to run entire sites. It was something like that that would do React.RenderToString. You know, you basically built a pre-render. Yeah, that's a lot, Greg. <laughs> you say that so nonchalantly, like, that's oh, what you gotta just, do, man. We just build a pre-renderer for well, this you know, giant, you gotta, you giant gotta, CMS system. Well, you what you ended up doing was you would end up rendering pre-rendering individual components or individual pages if they were spas, and then you ended up like having different states of the component render as a certain set of markup, and then you take that markup and put it in AEM. As like an HTL, you, you would say, push like, it back the to day. AM on the HTLs. Yeah. yeah, but like that kind of situation runs into the issue that Gatsby's in the middle of trying to solve. Is like, hey, I change my data. I need to re-render. And you rebuild stuff. that front end side. Yeah, I got to rebuild that front end on my Circle CI or Travis system, and then push it out again because it doesn't build live. Like you can't re-render the pre-rendered stuff. Yeah. Unless you have some kind of pipeline. Well, I know that Netlify has a thing where it'll it can receive a webhook. Yeah, to like rebuild. data's changed and then yeah, data's like on change. So depending yeah. on what uh, backend CMS you're using, you might be able to trigger it that way. I know Netlify does that. So um, you what might am be I what am I doing right now? What's this the universal symbol for? Um, where where's the money? Yeah, that's what Netlify's saying. Oh where's the money? Gosh. You pay me, we'll rebuild your system. Like F, that's the F, problem. You pay me. Yeah, F you pay me. You want your site to re-render? Give me the money. <laughs> Let me know. Like, you want to make 9,000? Like imagine, another thing you have to think about with building large websites is scalability. So you're like, okay, cool. I'm going to build this website for, I don't know, Uber, a landing page that everybody goes to. What's a better example? Like something that people would actually, because you use Uber's app, but you don't go to, okay, SoundCloud. You use their app, but you don't really go to their websites as much unless you have a problem. So like SoundCloud, you're going to SoundCloud and you're like, SoundCloud's like, you know what? At SoundCloud, they say, we want to get to a headless CMS for how we render each of these artists and their data's on, you know, S3 or something. So that's already managed, but you need to build a landing page for this artist. But this artist's data changes often in the CMS. How are you going to do that? And your answer could be, we'll put all the artists in Graph CMS or what would you say Netlify? Because they have the ability to rebuild whenever... You publish new content. Great. Now you have 100,000 users a minute hitting Netlify. How much do you think they're going to charge you? A lot. Show me the money. You have to like front that with some kind of CDN. That would be a mess. That would well, be crazy. You front it with a CDN, and then now you have one level away from content authors publishing. So then you have to say, okay, cool. Whenever you publish to, this, to, the, to Netlify, it triggers a rebuild on Netlify's front end. Their, and well, their delivery system. out your cash. And then you have to put a TTL on the cache in the CDN of a certain amount of time, or you got to clear it. And if you clear it and you have 100,000 requests, now you have all of those, because CDNs give you this impervious belief that you're invincible yeah, until you clear the CDN. Yeah. <laughs> and then your origin topples. And yeah. you're like, oh, sorry. Or every time you do a clear of the CDN to get new content, you have 100,000 users a second trying to populate your cache. And before it can even cache things, Five requests have gone through. 500,000 requests. Look at the cost of Netlify per request. Yeah, some of those might miss too. So if you yeah. if you come back empty on those requests, ooh. Then you maybe could ooh. cache invalid data or, and then you got to clear CDN again. And the, the thing is, a lot of these passes will charge like 
nothing under a million requests. But then if you say, if you have more than a million requests, what do they usually have on their website? Give us a call. You know how much that costs? Oh, yeah. You don't, the symbol you don't, you again. don't ever, if you're ever in a situation <laughs> where you're, you're trying to sign up for a, a SaaS and you get to the tier that says contact us. Yeah. Oh man, you better come with some green on one yeah, of those. Because usually those things come with contracts with SLAs and SLAs are expensive. If you're doing like a legit business that can't be down, you know, they're going to charge you a certain amount of money to have like a, 90, a nine nines uptime or whatever. Yeah. They charge a lot of money for that. 24 hour support. Money for it. Yep. If your clients like, you know, this thing needs to be up 24 seven because we're in multiple, you know, we're here and in Europe and in Asia and it's always selling stuff. Boom. Like, I don't know. That's so we're getting, hard. we're getting a little bit, you know, crazy, but like, that's the kind of things you have to think about because not everything is a to-do app. I feel like that's the title of the episode. <laughs> not everything is a to-do. Yeah. Data jujitsu. Or data jujitsu is good too. I think the not everything is a to-do app uh, has been kind of played out like we get it. Not everything's a to-do app. Well, I don't think anything. I'm going to go out on a limb. Here's my hot take. There's no to-do apps. No oh one ever God. builds a to-do app. If you're building something that literally just has a certain set of models that are read only, I don't, I haven't built a website. What, that what do you time. use for your to-do list? What do you use for your shopping list? Uh, my brain. You don't write stuff down? Either that or my girlfriend has sent me a text message or I just know what I need to buy during the week. Oh, like, that's, that's no. My if I do need way. a to-do list and it, what is it, food related or not food just related? Just anything, Costco. You're going to Costco. How do you keep track of what? Because if you if you walk in the front yeah, door of Costco without a list, you're- You're buying like you're, a, five, you're 4K a 4K TV time. and yeah, no, camera. Don't do that. <laughs> no, like 40 million I, It's funny that you say that because literally the last time I walked into Costco without a, without a list, I literally bought a TV that I did not intend this to buy. This TV? So not this one, the one before this one. Oh, the one that was I a long time ago. This one. So that you learned your lesson. I learned my lesson. Yeah. Anyway, what do you use for your list? I'm going to, you and I are going to Costco like right after this. How do you like organize what you have and what you're going to buy? I'm not really that big of an organization person, but if I was going to do it uh, and I had to fall back on something, it'd probably just be uh, reminders on my phone because I have an iPhone and it has all the apps that you would need built in and they work pretty well. Like notes or whatever? I would either use notes or reminders probably. Notes is a to-do app, Greg. Uh, Notes is not a to-do app. It's called a notes app. It happens to have checklists as a feature. So it's not really a to-do app. Checklists are a to-do list. I mean, the to-do app that I actually do use is OmniFocus. But that's because like the kind of stuff that I do to do is like big. I don't keep lists for small stuff. I'm just, I'm I'm giving you a hard time because that's a pretty fire hot take. Hmm. Not a, I'm swear, I swear, not everything is a to do app. I've, well, it's just it's just part of the canon now. Like it's been no, it used makes so sense much that it makes ex- sense, right? It's like saying yeah. that FizzBuzz is like your most basic test of whether a developer knows what the hell they're Dude, doing. Dude, give me a FizzBuzz question. I'm walking out of your interview. Really? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Maybe. I think an I interesting. Walk out. I think an interesting question would be: write FizzBuzz in a language you've never, you don't. No, because no, like, why would you do that? Like, well, what it's the like, kind of questions that you should ask in interview? And this is a complete. This is a different topic. This so is I'm a not, whole different topic. I'm yeah. not going to go too far into this, but the kind of questions you should ask is whether or not people understand the kind of things we're talking about. If you work at a big company and you're interviewing somebody, you should ask them what you know. If you had this piece of data, where would you put it? Boom. How would you data jujitsu this data? Yeah. You know, they they in interviews they'll ask you like you know, hey, if you're a front end interview, they'll be like, here, you have this piece of data. And you're going to need to get it into this component. 
The examples you often write are like, component did mount, request the data. Come on. What happens if it changes? What happens if a property, a state value manipulates the API request you're making? Then you got to deal with componented update. The minute you deal with componented update, infinite loop. Oh, man. Because you get data, sets the prop on the container, re-renders the component, boom, infinite All day loop. Long. All day. And I don't want to get into that because that's a whole nother gem. Dan Abramoff, can you fix that, please? Greg is really tired of these infinite loops. He's having a No, hard they time. are. It's called hooks and concurrent rendering. It's, it's, they've he's got growing it. gray hairs in his beard because of these infinite loops I used to deal with. It's kind of a mess. Dude, the guy is really smart. I don't know about that. I don't, I'm but not they, a big fan of like hero worship around all these, no, these I, people. I don't, he is I don't a very that. smart individual. He came up with a very interesting concept. He seems to be a pretty good steward of this project that has kind of taken over our lives a little bit. And I appreciate him for that. Is he going to build the next Iron Man suit and go flying around the world? No, of course not. No, but Elon's he does do that. It. Well, yeah, <laughs> that's the joke. I was just kidding. But I'm, I'm, what I'm trying to say is like, they are thinking of ways to, ha- they know these issues. They use, they use React every day. They know these issues that can arise in these weird edge cases, but their job is to create and show how to use the system, get it to gain traction, easy to understand. And their goal is to make features that work for the wide swath of people on the platform. And then if they need to, create a means for you to write more complex stuff yourself. Like their, their job is if you go on like GitHub and you, you know, add a comment to Formic and you're like, Hey, I want to do X. He's going to say, okay, cool. Write it inside of the, you know, submit like, or write it as a, before you even render my Formic component, do it in the state of the parent component. Like there are ways to do everything. The problem is sometimes the ways that you need to do things create jujitsu problems. But I do think that like, I'm not worshiping Abramov or anything, but like the stuff that they're thinking of are ways to solve fundamentally some of the hardest issues in React, like concurrent rendering, code splitting, uh, hooks, having the ability to adapt things. And I mean, hooks removes the need for you to use component did update and and component did mount as two different methods. In hooks, there's a way to make a function get triggered either way. It's kind of like why they refactored, uh, what is it? Uh, component will receive props into get derived state. Like they're thinking of these things. Like how do you manipulate state regardless of whether or not it's the first time a component's rendering or after? How do you change data and make API requests the first time or after the thing's rendered? Concurrent rendering and hooks. Like they're thinking of these things. But, you know, they're fundamental solutions to the problems. They're not... They're not like, hey, here's a sword and I'm going to cut through your problem. Like it's a tool that you can use to solve a problem. And that's what a framework should do, like React. Yeah, they're not responding to the 3 a.m. email from the CMO three times in a way. They're no. thinking long-term and in broad strokes and on a fundamental level, so they're not leaving tech tech in their project. Yeah, and like some of the things that they use at Facebook are not the things that are in React because they have... Probably, you know, for every piece of code you see in React, Facebook has, I would say, like, probably twice as much more code that they don't expose. Not within the library, but, like, ways to use those libraries. Yeah, they probably have little packages and stuff that they use. Little packages and widgets and stuff that they use to make it easier to uh, use. But they're not, like, releasing that stuff to everybody. They're releasing 
the fundamental building blocks of how those things work. And I think that's what Abramov is good at doing. What if there was just a package that was like NPM install data jujitsu and it just did all of it for you? I mean, there, there's things like Redux Sagas helps with this problem, but I, I find it really complicated, but it, it allows you to intersect and interweave data in weird ways. I mean, Redux is just hard. It's not. It's like... You it have, really you, is, though. That's the thing. The The problem that I've run into with uh, Redux is that, like, the, the hardest problems I think... The, the two biggest things are um, setup. Like, here's where my reducers are. Here's my actions. Here's all the thing. Like, all that setup and understanding how to do that. And then reducers. Just map, reduce kind of stuff you have to do on data. And the reducers is confusing to people. And the, I mean, and rightly so. And then if you get into the other side of it, middleware, if you actually get into the point where you're changing fundamentally the flow of data behind the components, then that's a little interesting. But all of those pieces are there. And then the other thing is there's a lot of decoration. There's a lot of boilerplate that goes into getting Redux set up on a project. I agree. Well, there's a lot of boilerplate even within making components. You have to like set up the... uh, map state to props, map actions, all that kind of stuff. Like, And there's trick ways that people do that and interesting things people do. But I, I found that it is the cleanest way to write a multi-data, multi-action, intersecting thing situation. I mean, I always use Redux Thunk with Redux, which is similar to what Sagas does. Um, but I don't, you know, I don't know. I could talk about this forever. You could. You do talk about it forever. It's fine, though. Greg, do you have a pick this week? Uh, so you told me to think about this. I um, did. T- I've texted you multiple times. <laughs> no, you texted me once today. Um, I, w- I texted you once today. Well, you text me every... No, you, <laughs> you know every time that we record, I'm going to ask you for a pick. No, but when I get here, you're like, you start recording right, sometimes right away. And I'm like, let's just talk and then think about what the picks are. Um, all right. So my only, my, my only pick, because I had a relatively you know calm weekend. Uh, I was just playing a lot of Destiny and I started playing my uh, Titan. Because I, like, you know... Don't want to go too far into it. I've talked about it before, but like PvP is really annoying in Destiny because there's a lot of Titans with like one-eyed mask, which is this really overpowered uh, piece of armor that they have. And like they can do Titan skating and like jump around really fast and just kill everybody. And it's very annoying. So I spent this whole season of Destiny getting the Redrix Broadsword on my Hunter, which was a lot of fun. Now Hunter's a lot of fun, like sarcastically. But uh, hunters are like one of the classes that every other class, compl- every other class in Destiny complains about every other class. Hunters complain about warlocks and titans. Titans say that hunters one, you know, one hit melee them or break them out of their melee or their their supers or whatever. You know, warlocks say that like everybody kills them. Everybody says that warlocks Nova Warp kills everybody. Whatever. So you know, it's this whole fun thing. But I just want to for next season, I'm going to embrace the titan who I've almost got to max level and I'm going to main a Titan next season and I'm just going to kill everybody in the Crucible. Is Titan really that much better? I mean, it's 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 has more resilience, so it takes less damage fr- marginally. Um, so it's like a tank class, essentially. It's a tank class. Okay. But it's not really. It has more resilience than like a Hunter does. Less mobility, theoretically. It should be able to move slower, but it actually moves faster. The hunters are the slowest class, but yet they're supposed to be the highest mobility, which is fun. Doesn't make any sense. Yeah, there's a lot of balancing problems. And then 
Warlocks are supposed to be one of the highest damage classes, but not necessarily the fastest, but yet they run the fastest and jump the fastest. Um, you That's know, weird. I don't know. But a lot of PvP, at least in this meta, which is like the the series of like what's the best stuff, is like one-eyed mask, shotguns, hand cannons, titans, titan skating. So that's when you like run around really fast and you can manipulate this this skill called lift where uh, it makes you jump fast high and you can like run really fast. Like you can bunny hop like really quick. You can bunny hop? Like oh, in man. CSGO, they had this bunny hop macro where you could like duck and jump. I and never played CSGO, I'm sorry. I didn't, but I read about it while I was reading about Titan skating. <laughs> oh, okay. But like, I don't know. So I'm not going to like Titan skate in PvP because I think that's rude. But I am going to uh, embrace the Titan. I'm going to try to get a one-eyed mask, although it drops really slow. And they're about to nerf it, I think, next patch. They're talking about modifying it. But I want to get one, and next season I'm going to play PvP a lot and mainly on a Titan. That's my pick, Titans. That sounds fun. Titans and Just Titans embrace the too. thing that you hate. Do pick. you want any of our listeners to play with you? I don't know. I mean... Listeners, if y'all want to pay <laughs> with Greg on Destiny 2, Adam, I mean, you at, can at on Twitter. He'll tell you. He'll let you know. I, you know, I can, I can run a, you know, I could run a raid or something with somebody. I don't know. We have a clan with a lot of people, so I raid regularly and I PvP and play regularly with a few friends of mine. But yeah, I always want more people to play with that are cool. We definitely need to live stream that on Twitch if you're going to play with our listeners. That would be amazing. I would I just mean, watch. Yeah. I would probably have to produce that episode, but that'd be fun. I do have a Twitch and I do have the captured software. I have streamed like Colin at work has watched me play a little bit, but I, I don't know. I'm not like a streamer, but... Um, That's fine. We would just do it because it'd be fun. Yeah. I don't know. I would I would do it. I'm, I'm not like the best at PvP, but uh, I want to get better and I want to just kill everybody with, uh, you know, to, with my shotguns on my Titan. It's a good pick. Listeners, if you want to play with Craig, let us know. You can email the show as well. <laughs> so your pick related to an earlier conversation we had tonight. My pick also relates to an earlier conversation we had about Linux. Oh, Lord. So there's Why? a new podcast out called Choose Linux. And this is a bi-weekly show. Uh, it's run by two guys. There's a guy named Joe, it's Joe Ressington, who's been in the Linux community forever. And he's done podcasts and stuff about Linux. So he's kind of... It's old hat for him. And then there's a guy, his name is Jason. I forget what his last name is. We'll put it in the show notes. Uh, he writes for Forbes and he's been writing a series of articles about switching to Linux full time. And he's kind of issued this challenge. He's called it the community challenge where he says um, he's been doing it with a couple of distros, but his first one, he did it with elementary. And he said, I challenge people to use nothing but elementary for the next two weeks. And he's been doing it himself as a, as a other OS user, he's been switching himself. He's been uh, documenting his progress and things that he's had to deal with, uh, pros and cons, all that kind of thing. And the podcast is him talking with Joe Ressington about his experiences, how that stuff has gone. And it's very uh, much focused about this whole conversation around switching to Linux, which I think if you listen to it specifically, I think mm. you would get a lot out of it. Uh, I think some of our listeners would get stuff out of it too. Can, can they fix the key it. bindings? God damn it, Just Greg. skip over it. Just skip over it. <laughs> <laughs> the key bindings actually are kind of interesting. I guess if you come from a if you come from a Windows background, then the key bindings aren't going to be that good. They're not going to be that, be that much different. They're not going to be that much. You're yeah. going to be very uh, control key oriented rather than button next to the space bar. I've actually gotten better 
on that's what I noticed when I was coding on Linux is that I'm better at Linux because I'm more used to the Windows, at least the basic stuff like copy paste is more natural to me now. Yeah, because I've been using Windows a lot to game, so like it's whatever. I don't want to mess up your take. Yeah. So choose Linux better. is the podcast. They are bi-weekly, so they only have one episode out right now. I think they're coming out with one either this week or next week as well. Do you think so, they're going to run out of content because they're going to? I don't think so because uh, what. Jason is writing about, he's kind of doing this thing that Linux users all experience. It's called distro hopping, where mm. you kind of try different ones out, trying to find the one true distro. I tried to do that, except, you know, my win- my computer has three hard drives and it doesn't know which one to mm. format. You need to come over and fix it. Well, I'll, we should, I don't we should do an to, episode. Well, no, I don't want to have to... Can we I do can it take, on air? Uh, I don't know. I think that'd be fun. I don't want to have to take the NVMe drives out. I don't think you have to. I bet I could. I bet if I actually sat down and looked at this, I could probably fix it pretty easily. If I knew what drive to wipe and how to wipe it to install a different distro, it'd be easy. Yeah. It'd be easy. I would. I would have tried elementary. The partition tool should should give you a pretty easy way to do that. But the I remember you sending me some screenshots and they looked really weird. I didn't know what was going on. So I bet if I actually sat in front of it and took a look at it, I could do it pretty pretty easily and pretty quickly. But or we could listen to. The, to choose Linux podcast, maybe they'll help us out. So. I mean, you probably would just go on my computer and go rm-rf star. Yeah, I could do that too. On all hard drives. That's one way to do it. Yeah, you'd mount my Windows hard drive it's and just erase Nuke it. and Pave, my friend. Nuke and Pave. Yeah, don't do not do that. I don't want to have to reinstall everything. That would that would take a long time. I would not want to well, do I that. I don't again. have anything on Windows but games. So, I don't know. I don't have anything on Windows. I don't have anything on... Anything. Linux cause either. Your cause computer I, just exists I, as a figment. Well, I just have everything backed up. Like, all of our episodes I have backed up on various hard drives, like actual physical hard drives. And then also uh, we have a Google drive where we keep everything. So, I mean, we would never, I, I don't have anything that I would lose if like my life went up in a fire right now. Hmm. We'd be all right. I don't have any data that matters. Tell me I'm wrong. Don't at me. I don't know. Do you have like pictures? They're on iCloud. Are they? I don't know. So, so everyone has, them? is that what you're saying? Well, there's nothing in them. Do they want to see pictures of like... We talked about photo photography last week. Do we they want to see those photos? photos? I don't know. I don't know. Whatever. I don't know if I'd keep them on iCloud. I don't, I don't care. It's whatever. I don't know. Greg, where can people find you on the internet? I don't know. I'm an enigma. Oh, God. I don't know. At Gregorski on the Twitter that I never check. Uh, Gregorski on GitHub, which I do look at, but they don't have any social stuff. Issue him in... Everybody write an issue to Greg on... Any one of his repos. <laughs> like, hello. That's how you, why that's are how you not on Twitter? No, the yeah. issue would just be, why are you not on Twitter? I answer, just my, you a answer my at mention on Twitter and provide a link to it. Hmm. I tweeted at you some jokes about stuff that you said and you never responded. It made me very sad. I don't think I got any notifications well, for it. Well, you need to set that up, bro. I have their app. I didn't that's turn a them garbage off. Garbage app. It's a terrible it's app. Twitter. What do you want? I definitely added you at least like three times. Over the last two weeks, there was a uh, picture I found that was a joke about C. Oh, I have 20 notifications. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh no, those, wait, those are the... Are those just new tweets? Yeah, new tweets. And In then mentions. No, but you oh, should yeah, have mentions. at mentions. I at mention quite a bit. Oh, it's when, only it's When only the you. show's Twitter feed uh, publishes that we have a new episode out, it should... I mentioned both you and me at the same time as well. Although I need to 
it, it's made a little finicky lately. I need to take another look at that. But yeah, let's. Hmm. We should have some some witty banter on on Twitter, Greg. I mean, come on. Totally, I'll get right on that. All right. So Greg is at Agrigorsky. I'm at Al Park. Hit us up there. The show is publicfunction.fireside.fm. For now, we're going to mm-hmm. update that later. You can also email the show at hello at a public function dot show and also tweet at us at a public function. We announce the episodes there whenever they come out. We have a lot of followers now. We're totally on social media. We're on Twitter. I mean, we're on the Die in a Fire uh, Facebook platform too. Oh, jeez. I don't know. We're definitely not on It's on all Facebook. burning. You definitely aren't on Facebook. Oh, I deleted my account I'm two years ago. I'm pretty close to I deleted to it like two years ago. I, I, I just don't use it. It's not, even, it's not even a moral thing. I just don't use it. I'm pretty it's close to deleting Instagram too. Cause they're, well, I wouldn't do that. Well, they're talking about merging. Insta- that's a different podcast. They're talking about merging Instagram, WhatsApp. Or what was it? Instagram, WhatsApp, and Facebook? And Facebook Messenger. Yeah, but I don't use Instagram Or is it messaging. just Facebook Messenger, Facebook, and WhatsApp? No, it's Facebook Messenger, Instagram, they and WhatsApp. They included Instagram. Yeah, they said Instagram. Cool. My account's almost deleted already. Oh, jeez. If that's, they merge, if they, you know what they do? If they tell me I have to install Facebook to use Instagram, I'm out. That'd be terrible. I w- actually, I agree with that. I would, I would be done. I wow. love. Instagram. I mean, I know the data. I'm not dumb. I know the data in the back end. They still have a shadow profile or a real profile about me, and they update it with information from Instagram, which I never check. But whatever. I mean, we'll 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 talk about these things. We'll talk about these yeah. things. So let us know. Uh, let Greg know if you want to play with him, uh, play Destiny two with him, and we will live. We will definitely live stream. That would be amazing if you want to play with one of our listeners. We definitely live stream that. We could also live stream me doing tech support for your Linux drives. Man. Maybe you should just listen to the Choose Linux podcast. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, it sounds cool. Yeah. Definitely check that one out. Greg, can you please just think of a pick next week when we come back and we do another episode? Just, just, it doesn't matter what it is. Just, just think of something. Just be prepared. That's all I ask for. Why don't you remind me? I like, hey, the weekend's coming up. <laughs> think of a pick during the weekend. I don't get how like we've been doing this for so so many weeks now that it doesn't it hasn't become like part of your routine yet i all i ever do is go to work play destiny and work out well see like i do things now i'll i'll be you know scrolling through twitter or something and i'll see a tweet about this new podcast and the first thing that goes to my head is oh that's my pick this week oh i also listen to a ton of podcasts like while i work out well you pick a podcast yeah but it would be like ones you don't want to talk about all the relay ones my pick is relay relay fm is amazing i I subscribe to them and no. donate money every month or dope. No, no, no. No, no. What do you mean no? They have tons no, of podcasts. No. no. No, no, no. No. Anyways, this Anyways, is a long podcast. This Let's is go. a super long one. I'm gonna have to edit this down. This is a good one though. We actually stayed on topic. We cut well, that's debatable. Speed it up, guys. Just one point five. That's how you do know. it. All right. All right. See you next Let's, week, Greg. Let's go. Greg, I can hear your phone near the mic. I thought you fixed this. No, that's just your phone giving off radiation or whatever it is that messes with our signal. Hmm. Why'd you do that? I mean, it's only your phone. It's not my phone doesn't do that for some reason. I don't know. That's weird. No, it's not. So...
Why is the audio so clear? Oh man, it's doesn't it sound so much better? I mean, I can only hear it in my ears, but it, it's gonna sound great. We got we got some new equipment in, folks. Uh, we have some proper mic preamps for our mics that we're using, so you'll you'll hear that my voice sounds a lot better than it has before in the past. There's no have, like when you go to talk, it's like the weird the weird uh, wave crashing sound in the background. Yeah, that should be taken care of at this point. Why is the headphone only in mono? Because the inputs are mono. Hmm. Weird. Is that actually a thing? That's how it goes in. The, how does the it, signal goes in in mono, it comes out in mono. That's how it works. But when you listen to it, it's in stereo? No, I I compress all of our files down to mono. All of our all of our episodes are mono. They've always been mono. So when I'm listening in my car, it only comes out of one speaker? Depends on how you have your speaker set up, but it's a mono signal. Is I mean, that how podcasts usually are? Yeah, says so uh, safe space, says so file file size, because there's no point in having stereo when it's just two people talking. I mean, you could you could do some like have Greg very slightly off axis to the left and have Albert very slightly off axis to the right, but it would probably double the file size for no reason. Huh. So, anyways, what is this? So the thing we got is a new audio interface. It is a Behringer UMC 404HD. I'm reading that off the front of the thing. It we, we now have four proper mic inputs, whereas before we did not have four proper mic inputs. So my mic is going into an actual mic input. Greg's is continuing to go into an actual mic input. Why doesn't it have listening channels built in? What do you mean listening channels? Like, why do you still need this splitter? Because the outputs for it, the, the front side has the one headphone output. It's just the one. There are some more outs on the back, but that, those outs are designed for things like stereo monitors. Uh, you do have a couple of channels of like stereo outs, but those are quarter inch plugs. They're more designed for, for stereo, whereas the headphone out just gives you everything and lets you deal with it. Hmm. It's how these things work, Greg. I don't know. That wouldn't they just put those in there? Just have there's four mics, have four outs. Not necessarily, because not everybody who has a mic this necessarily needs to monitor their input. Okay. This is not the these interfaces were not designed necessarily with podcasting in mind. There are some newer interfaces that have come out that do have some more podcasting friendly features. Uh, Rode has come out with something called the Rodecaster, which you and I looked at and talked about that one time. But I don't think that that would have worked specifically that well with our purposes so far. This is this is a good first step for us. There's I have more plans for some other stuff to make my life when I edit these episodes a lot easier. But that there's more stuff coming. Hopefully, this is a good first step. Hopefully, everything sounds a lot nicer, at least with this one step. Yeah, maybe. We'll see. Yeah. Greg, how's it going? Are you alive? I'm alive. I, I mean, think. we're back. We weren't, we, we missed last week. Uh, Greg was not up to, not up to doing an episode last week. So we kind of skipped out and it was raining. I mean, I think that it was just like the apocalypse in Los Angeles last week. Yeah, totally. So we decided, so we're back. We're, we're doing a new episode. 
Greg, what'd you do while it was raining during the apocalypse last week? I drove to work. Why did you do that? I had to. No, you don't. Yeah, I had to. I keep telling you that you don't have to drive to work, especially when it's pouring rain. Like, it's like a safety thing. Like, if it was snowing, if there was an inch of snow on the ground, would you drive to work? I mean, people that live in snow drive to work. People who are used to driving in snow drive to work. Well, well, I don't know. I had to. I had to go to work. It's a safety thing. You don't have to. You don't have to risk your life to go to work. Well, we have a project that's due soon. Which so. you can do through the power of this thing called the internet. Yeah, but I, I have to like be there. No, you don't. Not when you're risking your life to get there, you don't. I mean, you have to when you kind of run day-to-day project operations sometimes. Again, it's not worth risking your life, Greg. Hmm. That's all I'm saying. Don't risk your life to go to work. Okay. All, all, our, all of our listeners out there, <laughs> if, if getting physically getting to your office requires you to put your life in danger, just don't do it. Just uh, don't I don't do know it. if that's always an option, but... Well, it should be. It should be. Well, we'll see yeah. one day. One of these days. <laughs>